right, so we have got a lot to cover today. I hope you guys are ready. Now, we are going to be, I'm going to give you a little bit of qualifier. We are in the book of Joshua. Our church has been in the book of Joshua for 86 messages. Though we're in the book of Joshua, I want you to understand, the book of Joshua is going to take us all over the Bible. It is a direct application of things that you and I can learn in our daily lives. So we're not just going to be studying what happens to them. We're going to be applying, seeing how God's trying to teach us how to apply it in our own lives. So we're in the book of Joshua, as I said, chapter number 11. Now, last week, I'm going to give you a little bit of a preface of where we were last week so it'll make sense where we are. Hey, more to come. Um, we were in Joshua chapter 11, verses 16 through 20. That message was called God's Commands Realized. God's commands realized. And what we did there was we following the, 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 uh, the conquering of the strongholds in northern Canaan. What had actually happened was the Israelites, we were revisiting all that they had accomplished, all that they were able to do in their conquest or their quest to have conquest over, over the promised land, which is the land called Canaan. And we saw that this was the, the land God had promised them generations before through Abraham. And we considered what enabled them to actually become successful? What enabled them to reach the point where it now they really have control of the land? They have, they have it under control. And what we saw was the fact that we revealed four different points that we saw last week, and we'll cover them briefly. We saw, first of all, there was ground that was taken for God. And it was through Joshua's description of the territories that had actually fallen under their power that God was extensively showing and revealing to us the fact that, man, the Lord's influence was all over. Canaan. This place, was, this place before had no room for God, and now the Lord was all over it. And the Israelites' promised land, as we looked at all that had taken place there, we made a correlation to our promised land. Now, for you and I, our promised land is a spiritual place. It's not a physical place. It's a spiritual place. It's a place where we walk with God in fellowship with Him. It's a place where we walk in peace with God. It's something that John in John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I've come to give you life, but to give it to you more abundantly. So the abundant life is pictured in, in our promised land. And we asked ourselves, how much control the Lord has in our promised land, in our spiritual walk with God, in our daily lives, our speech, our thoughts, our actions, our reactions, which really could culminate in our hearts. How much control does God have over our hearts, the way that we respond to life. And we consider what made the Israelites successful was the fact that God was in control. This is something that we see time and time again with the Israelites as they grow and they go through times where they're being obedient and times where they're being disobedient. They're successful when they allow God to lead. And we thought about this and we brought a conversation about who it is that's ruling our hearts. Who's controlling our hearts? Who sits on the throne of our hearts as we live our lives? And we asked ourselves that truth. Now, if it's us, Many of us can attest to the fact that we're on a long, bumpy road that's going to be filled with regrets if we're the ones that are calling the shots. But if it's God, if it's the Lord Jesus Christ, what's beautiful is we can be on a path of love and joy and peace. And as opposed to living with regrets, we can live with no regrets. There is something God has for us, boy, a road that is beautiful if we'll learn how to follow Him. And we looked at the specific steps that the Israelites had taken to succeed against this powerful enemy. And it was here that we affirmed something that Joshua had taught us before, which is the fact that wicked rulers, right? Wicked rulers must be defeated. 
And then what happened is he was listing out all these pagan kings that they had battled against. We saw that these, these kings had lost their power. And it was talking about those influences that drive those wicked strongholds. Every stronghold had a, a leader or an influence. And there are strongholds in our lives, things where people struggle with things that they just can't, for whatever reason, get beyond. And there is something down deep that is driving that. And what he's showing us is, listen, we've got to be willing to address the issues in our own hearts to address these things in our lives that we cannot defeat. For some reason, somebody goes, I just can't, I just can't, I just can't. Listen, you'll never be able to defeat it. Only God can. But he can deliver us. And what we see here is a picture of them saying, look, God, we can't do it. <laughs> we can't do it. So what we're going to do is we're going to just, just trust you. And so when we think about think think when we think about when we think about the strongholds in our lives and we think about those that are ruling them, listen, whether or not it's a physical ruler that we see here in Canaan, or if it's a spiritual one that's in our own hearts, we must be willing to address them. And we looked at the next thing. We looked at was the rebellion was crushed. The rebellion was crushed. And what was interesting as we read this, it talked about the fact that none of the people, none of these folks in these in these cities, except for one group, the Gibeonites. None of them were willing to make peace with God. Not one of them. They all stood in direct defiance of God. None would make peace. And we correlated that to what's being pictured in the world around us. Where a world we live in today is filled with people who defy God. Who live in direct opposition to Him. And so as the lost world defies God... Well, we've got to realize the fact that, listen, it's not because um, they don't have an opportunity to make peace with God. It's not because that gift is not offered to them. It's because they make a conscious choice to reject it. God, for God so loved the world, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God offers love to the world. He offers restoration to the world, brokenness. He can says, I can restore it. I can bring you out of the darkness and into the light. Amen. And as he offers this, what will happen is people get a free choice to decide, you know what, I'll receive it or I will reject it. And what we saw in this scripture from last week was the fact that it says they would not make peace with God. Not because they didn't have an opportunity, but because they chose they chose not to. Then we saw God was glorified in the victory. And this was how God dealt with the judgment of that sin. What did God do? He brought judgment. And we see here through the rebellion that's going to take place there, but also what's going to happen in this, in this world and the rebellion that people are living with even now. Through God's dealing with and judging these issues of sin, His sovereignty, His power will be revealed. Not only in history as we go back and look at them, but throughout human history. The power of God is revealed through the fact that, guess what? We all will stand accountable to Him one day. It's inside of us. We know the Bible tells us that we are without excuse because even in the heart of hearts, the deepest, most atheistic person in the world who says, God does not exist. Why do they spend their lives trying to prove something doesn't exist if it doesn't exist? Why do they care? You don't see them going to bat for the tooth fairy. I'm going to prove to you she's not real. No. Because in their heart of hearts, guess what? They know. They know he's real. They just don't want to stand, stand accountable to him. And so as we close out chapter 11, Joshua's going to reference the single greatest foe that they have faced. The one that scared them to the death. The one that the Israelites would have nightmares about. There were these folks, these individuals that struck heart in the fear of every one of them. And what happens 
is we'll see today is the fact that because of their faithfulness and because of God's faithfulness to fight for them, today's message is called Giants Falling. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for the opportunity we have just to be in your house. I thank you for each one that's here. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God. And uh, Lord, you know, I've prayed, I have studied, um, I have searched your word to the best of my ability with as limited as it is to see what it is you want to show us. And Lord, I would ask God today that you would just simply uh, show us, show us your truth. Uh, Lord, please remove the human element and all that I will bring to mess this up. Please uh, hold back my stumbling tongue, make my mind clear. Uh, God, you know who I am and so do I. And uh, Lord, I'm not qualified to be this person, uh, but you've called me to it and I will do the best that I can. Would you speak to us all in Jesus' name? Amen. All right, John, uh, Joshua chapter 11, verses 21 through 23. It says, And at that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakims from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities. There was none of the Anakims left in the land of the children of Israel, only in Gaza and in Gath, and in Ashdod there remained. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said unto Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to their divisions by their tribes, and the land rested from war. Now it's important to keep in mind that these uh, Joshua's recounting what he's telling us about these Anakims. These are the very same people that scared them so badly 40 years earlier that they would not enter the promised land. These were the ones that scared them to their core. God directed Moses to send 12 tribes or 12 spies into Canaan when they reached there. Now what you've got to realize is it's really only an 11 day journey if you left from where they got out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea till they reached the border of the Promised Land. It's only an 11 day journey. It took them about a year or so. So in that process of traveling to where they were going to go into the Promised Land, Joshua was, or Moses was being prepared by God. And then what happened when they arrived, Moses was like, okay, he got the 12 spies, he sent them in, and this is what happens. This is how kind of things played out. They came back at this, Numbers 13, verses 30 through 33. And Caleb, who was one of the 12, Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. God gave us a promise, and listen, we're ready to take it. Verse 31. But the men that went with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Listen, they should be weak because it's God's strength that brings the victory. It's not the, it's the, it's the human element that they're getting caught up in. They're seeing things from the wrong eyes. Verse 32 says this, And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it, it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw... In it are men of great stature. And there we saw giants, the sons of Anak. That's the Anakims. The sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our sight as grasshoppers, and so, were in, and so we were in their sight. They saw, we were like insects. These guys are massive. And then based upon the report of the ten, not the twelve, but the ten, this was their response in Numbers 14, verses 1 through 4. And all the congregation, notice the wording, all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Listen, they're crying. They're having, whoa, freaking out. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron. This is something that happens on a regular basis with the Israelites. Recognize, when we understand the pictures in Scripture, the Israelites are a picture of the individual believer. 
they're a picture of us, the turmoil that lives within us. So it says, And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Could we just die there? Or, or would we had died in the wilderness? Could we just died in the wilderness? But now what's going to happen? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall, fall prey by the sword that our wives and our children should be prey? So you brought us all this way just to get us killed. Right? Just so we can die by way of the sword. Were it not better for us to return unto Egypt? Couldn't we just go back where we came from? It wasn't that bad, was it? I know we complained about it, but you know, I'm thinking about it. It wasn't, wasn't that bad. Notice this, verse 4. And they said one to another. They looked amongst each other. Let us make a captain. We need a new leader. Moses ain't cutting it. This guy's trying to take us. We're going to get killed. You know what we need to do? We need a new leader, and we need to return unto Egypt. What's interesting about Egypt, Egypt is a picture of bondage. When you and I come to the Lord, when we get saved, we are drawn out of the bondage of sin. The Old Testament is a picture book that reflects to us a historical and pictures that you and I can visualize and say, Oh, I got you. So we see the exodus where they come out of Egypt. They're set free from bondage. They cry out to God and He delivers them by way of Moses. Moses is a spiritual picture of Jesus Christ. And He just happens to bring them out of the exodus by way of the blood of a lamb. So the blood of a lamb brings them and sets them free. And the next thing they do is go through the water, picture of baptism in the Red Sea. And then you get into the wilderness and now you've got to make some choices. It's the Christian life. And guess what? That's where they are. And God's saying, hey, I'm going to bring you to a point where you can make a choice. You can receive what I've got for you, a promised land that I told you about and I told your forefather about. Here's your chance to receive it. Are you going to take it or not? And their fear said, you know what? No. <laughs> we ain't going there. It's, it's the path to death. So even though Joshua and Caleb, two of the twelve, tried to convince them otherwise, the people would not hear it. They had no reason to receive it. They said, we don't want to hear this. Their goal was to return to their bondage. That's what they saw as a solution. And there are people today that are children of God who because of their fears are willing to go back to the bondage of the life they had before. To go to the old friends that they had because guess what? It's comfortable. Listen, when you receive Christ, it doesn't make you perfect like you're not ever going to make a mistake. Man, that's just part of life. We're going we're to struggle. Now, we might be redeemed. We might be restored. We might be saved. Praise God. But listen, there's two things. There's salvation and there's sanctification. Salvation's up to Christ. Sanctification's up to us. And so what we're looking at here is a picture of sanctification. And their desire is to go back to bondage. Trusting the word of men over the word of God. And sadly, this is the case for many believers in the world today who because of their fear fall prey and they start looking for worldly solutions where the answers are in the Word of God. Listen, therapy, things of that nature, all this stuff that people have fallen away from God, and they go, look, I'm going to find an earthly solution. Not that there's nothing, I'm not, I'm not slamming therapy, but I'm saying, if you're not willing to turn to God's Word, and you think all the answers are in the world, and there's some doctor who's going to tell you some magic pill or going to give you some secret solution, it's not going to happen. The wisdom that you and I need to change our lives and to become who God created us to be is here. Every time you go to a, to a therapist and he gives you a truth and you go, man, that's really good. If you actually track it down, you'll find out it came from the Word of God. 
It's awesome. I have so many people that have gone to therapists and they go, you know, everything he's teaching me is biblical, but he's not saved. He's not saved. And I was like, imagine that. Because the wisdom that works is here. It's just the problem is that most people don't know where to look. So we should be in the Word of God, trusting His Word instead of trusting the world. Because what happens when we trust the world, you know what, we, what happens? We aimlessly stumble through the wilderness, lost. And there are so many people today that, you know what? I feel lost. There are believers today that, you know what, say, I just don't know what's going on in my life. I just, I just, feel, I just feel like I don't know what's going on. I feel like I'm just bumbling around in the darkness. Well, the thing is, guess what? We live in a spiritual night right now. When the Lord Jesus Christ ascended from this earth, the light of the world left this planet. And we entered a spiritual night. But listen, the light is in us. We're supposed to be the light. He says you shine as lights in the darkness. But listen, sometimes when we get caught up in the darkness, it's because we've lost sight of who it is we're to follow. Follow the light, man. If you and I were in a giant, dark, dark cave... And there was no light in that, in that cave anywhere. Let's say it's a thousand feet deep. And a thousand feet deep in, you light a candle. Guess where I'm going? I'm going to your candle, man. I'm going to the light. Right? Like a bug. Dude, we need to go to the light. We're drawn. We're drawn to the light. But we see so many people, unfortunately, never experience the peace and the joy of God. And that joy and peace is only truly found in the promised land in an abundant walk with Christ. And my question for us today, are we in the wilderness? Are we in the wilderness? Are we finding ourselves aimless? Are we trusting in the world's wisdom? Or are we trusting and walking with God, possessing our promised land? That's what's being pictured for us. History reveals to us that the majority of those Israelites died in the wilderness. Almost all of them. And what we find is that 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul recounts it to us and he says it this way. But with many of them, many of them, 603,550 men over the age of 20 went into the wilderness. Guess how many made it out? Dos. So this, many of them, he was not well pleased, the 603,548. <laughs> He's being generous. God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And unfortunately, that's a story for many people. Overthrown in the wilderness. But there will be some that will gain their promised land. And it's this group that's walking with Joshua. Joshua just happens to be the Hebrew rendering of the name Jesus. So these people that are walking with Joshua. And these are the ones that we emulate. These are the ones we try to follow. As, 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 we, as, as God extends, uh, as, if we were to succeed in experiencing the life God intends for us, the first thing we do is we see fears conquered. That's what's going to happen here. This is what's happening. Recognize this. Verse number 21 says this. At that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakims from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel, Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities. And so throughout Canaan, Joshua has not only devastated the, the pagan forces, the traditional armies that exist, but they've also dealt with the giants as well. Searching out what scared them. Hello? Searching out what scared them and ultimately what was the very thing that caused their loved ones to suffer. The very thing that caused their, their loved ones to eventually die in the wilderness. And see, instead of being defeated like their parents and rebelling against God and His man, these Israelites put their faith in God's man. They put their faith in God's word. 
And these Anakins that they faced off in, they, they've destroyed them through the power of God. Not because they were powerful. They're much more powerful than they. But see, God promised the victory. If only the generation before them had had that kind of faith. Forty years earlier, if they'd have done what God's Word says, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Right? We walk by faith and not by sight. And that's such an easy, roll-off-the-tongue phrase. Man, so easy. But, buddy, living that is really pretty tough. Anybody else agree? Man. Man. Because you know what? Our faith is shaken by what we see. But this is, this is what Joshua and the Israelites are modeling for us. And I know that we all want to be like them. We want to be like the second group. Man, I want to be like those guys. Man, overcoming our fears. But sadly, I think if we're real with ourselves, probably a lot of us can relate to that first group a little bit better. Folks that are guided by their fear. And that fear directly impacts, impacts their faith. So if that's the case, and we relate with that second group, how do we do it? How do we, re, how do we become people of faith and not people of fear? What do we do to see the solution? Well, what's great is we get an insight. Because remember, there were two guys who weren't afraid. There were two guys that had faith. And let's hear what Joshua and Caleb had to say to that group of scared Israelites. Verse four, chapter 14, Numbers 14, 6 through 9. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. He doesn't say good land. It's an exceeding good land. Verse 8, if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them. Listen, man, we've got this, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. He's saying, listen, if you want to succeed, this is what we need to be mindful of. He gives us four things. He teaches us four things. Joshua and Caleb chose to focus on the positive. It is an extremely good land. We heard an evil report from the other guys, but these guys give a positive report. How many folks have a natural tendency to look at the negative? Oh, my goodness. They say cup half empty, cup half full. Right? Two people can look at the exact same scenario and go, wow. I always give an example. Is that when I was in Malawi, Teaching, there's a mountain there called Mount Malongi. And it was at Mount Malongi, it's this massive mountain. And you think about it from two different perspectives. If Mount Malongi, if you're a mountain climber, you're like, man, Mount Malongi, can't wait, it's gonna be great. But let's say if you're just a traveler and you're just trying to get to a city or a town on the other side of Mount Malongi. Ugh. So for one, it's an obstacle waiting to destroy them. For another, oh, it's an adventure. It's the exact same thing. It's all about our perspective. And you and I have to realize the fact that, you know, God's put challenges in our life, yes. But listen, He's always got a way out. He's always got a positive way to work through this. And what happens is these men see the positive. What do they say? The land which we pass through to search it, it is an exceeding good land. They don't make mention of anything about the giants. Second thing, Joshua and Caleb put full faith in God's promises Full faith in God's promises. It says, if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land. Remember, God told them that he would do this. He promised them. And give it to us. Give it to us. Guys, can I promise you, God has so much for us. He wants to deliver into our lives. He wants to work through us and in us. 
The third thing, Joshua and Caleb trusted in the Lord's presence. What does it say? The Lord, listen, He's with us. He's with us. The Lord, God tells us, He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Right? He says, look, I'm not going anywhere. I'll go with you in the deepest, darkest, toughest places you'll ever go in life. I'll go with you through it. Amen. And they hold on to that promise, that presence of God. And then lastly, Joshua and Caleb walk by faith and dismiss their fear. Right? Fear them not. Fear them not. It's a conscious choice. If we're not careful, fear will overwhelm what we see. But if we choose to, we can look beyond our fear and trust in the Lord. There are folks that face very tough, difficult times. People that are dealing with cancer that we know in this church. And you know what? They can be overwhelmed by it and live in fear or they can say, you know what? God's got this. Whatever He has for me, I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to walk by faith. And someone can have joy in the midst of struggles. But people in the world, people in the world live based upon happenstance. Good day, bad day. It's all determined based upon circumstance. And God says, no, no, no. Huh. I, even have a, I even have a purpose for this. You may not understand it today, but one day you will. Do you remember what God told Joshua as they were getting ready to face off against that massive coalition of armies? Like 16 different people groups came together. This massive army comes to destroy them. This is the biggest force they ever faced. And this is what God told them in Joshua 11, verse 6. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid, because of them. For tomorrow about this time will I deliver them up all slain before Israel. Thou shalt hoof their horses and burn their chariots with fire. And boy, you know what? They went through that thing and they didn't lose a man. They utterly devastated their enemy. The message is clear. Be not afraid. Joshua took this message to heart and listen, he lived it. He believed it and he acted upon it. He faced his people's greatest fear. And he conquered it through the power of God, through trusting exactly what he said before. He, put his, he was focused on the positive. He put full faith in the promise. He trusted in God's presence and walked by faith and not by fear. This should have been the Israelite story the first time. This is exactly what should have happened. But only because of the faithfulness of just a couple of men, this is the story now. They have they've done amazing things. And see, what happens for all of us is we have to realize the fact that we all have failures. We all have history where, you know what, our fears have gotten the better of us. Where, you know, we know what we should have done, and man, we just blew it. Man, if I could go back. Boy, I would change it. If If I could just go back. If I could just go back. Listen, we can either allow our failures to, to pigeonhole us, to define us, or we can learn from them. Listen, there's no one that's perfect. The Bible says, for there is none righteous. And just in case you think there is one, he says, no, not one. There is no one who's righteous. There's no one that's perfect. We're all a mess. You know, Facebook is so popular, but if it was heart book, if it was real life book, (laughs) I think our posts would greatly reduce. (laughs) Man, my life is a mess. I can't wait to tell everybody about it. No. There's a lot of people that, that portray something that's not real. Because we, want, we feel better about ourselves. At least someone else believes my life's okay. Then maybe I can convince myself that it is. But I've got issues going on in my, own, in my own heart. But see, God cleans up that stuff. If we'll surrender to Him, God can clean up our broken pieces. What is it? When Jeremiah, 
when Jeremiah is directed down to the potter's shed. He looks in and he sees the potter. And it says that the pot is marred. It means it's damaged. But see, it's still clay. And though it's a mess, you know what he does? He just reforms it. He centers it. He presses it down. And see, that's not good for the clay. The clay's like, God sucks. I was a pot before. What is happening to me? I was happy with what I was. And sometimes when God puts pressure on us and starts to reshape us, it's an uncomfortable thing. It's tough. You feel the pressure of God trying to center you back in your life, and you're like, man, this is hard. But then he centers you, and he presses you down. And then you know what he does? He lifts you up. He puts his thumbs in there, and he takes that marred pot, and he makes it perfect. He says he's the potter. Guess who's the clay? It's us. And so God has a purpose and a plan. So many times we want to be limited by our failures, but God intends to teach us, to teach us through them. We learn and we grow when we go forward. So Joshua and Caleb taught us to ch- they chose to focus on the positive. They put full faith in God's promises. They trusted in the Lord's presence and they walked by faith and dismissed their fear. This is the path to conquering our promised land. This is what we must do. You know what robs Christians of their peace? What robs them of their ability to feel the presence of God and to feel secure is because they get caught up in what they see and what they see overwhelms their hearts. Will our faith be determined by what appears to be true or by what is biblically true? Will it be determined by what appears to be true or by what is biblically true? Jesus said this in John 8, 32, and ye shall know the truth. And what has happened? The truth shall make you free. Then he later defines that, guess what? He is the truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. You see, he is the gateway. He is what we, what we need. So we see them conquered. We've seen fears conquered. Next we see Work yet to be done. Verse 22 says this, There was none of the Anakims left in the land of the children of Israel, only in Gaza and in Gath and in Ashdod. Emerson, you came out to be part of the project. Awesome. She's like, I just can be in the, I need to be in this thing. All right, quick support. And so, all the strongholds of the giants have fallen. And it says, And there was none of the Anakims left in the land of the children of Israel, only in Gaza and in Gath and in Ashdod. There remain. So we see here there's a conquered. The part that's been conquered, those have been devastated. Those have been defeated. But there is parts, there's three that are listed. We see Gaza, we see Gath, and we see Ashdod that still are intact. And what you see here is this is a picture of the promised land. This is a picture of Canaan. And this section right here, which is Gath is right here, then you see Ashdod here, and you see Gaza here. This is still controlled by the Philistines at this point. That eventually is going to be given to the tribe of Judah. It'll be their responsibility to deal with those cities. But what we find here is the fact that these, um, these, these Israelites, this ongoing, there's an ongoing battle. Though there are victories that have taken place, what we're going to see is there's going to be this ongoing endeavor to slowly but surely cleanse the, the land of this wickedness. In Exodus chapter number 23, 29 through 33, God's giving Moses some insight into this. This is before they ever get in there. He's telling them, listen, he says, I will not drive them out from before thee in one year. 
lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. He says, listen, this needs to be a smooth transition. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. And I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea even to the Sea of the Philistines and from Excuse me, and from the and from the from the desert under the river, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out before thee. Thou shalt make no covenant with them. This is very important. Nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest any lest they make thee sin against me. Their influence is going to draw you away from me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. And we know from biblical record that that is exactly what happens. That very snare, they will fall into it because they do not complete the job that was given to them. Though they are driving out these other gods, though they are destroying giants, understand, we see a transition. This is no longer about large-scale armies, massive 12 tribes coming together, fighting as one massive army. Now what we see is they're going to fluctuate. They're going to change into a shifting into a more of an individuals. So what's going to happen is they're going to start to break up into the individual tribes and those tribes will take on the responsibility of dealing with those individual territories. And as I said, the tribe of Judah is going is to get that land. But what we know is that they don't do the job completely. Because 500 years later, there's a giant that comes from a place called Gath. And he's a giant. So they did not, they did not complete the job. But what we find is right now, they are working their way to try to accomplish this. They're trying to drive out wickedness. These things are that God's people are here to fully claim the land. Now, what's interesting is they're not claiming it for themselves. Remember, they're claiming this for God. This is God's promised land to them. So this raw, it's not theirs. It's not to be their possession. It's to be God's. They're working as stewards of what God has provided them. And interestingly enough, if we consider ourselves... Like, this is not their land. Notice what God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. He says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, and ye have of God, and ye are not your own? The same way Canaan is not theirs, guess what? We're not our own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, what's the purpose? Therefore, because you've been bought, because God paid for, you, paid for your soul with His very life, Therefore, glorify God in your body. This is your job. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So this land is not theirs. We're not our own. We're owned by God. Are we continuing the process of sanctification that God started at salvation in our lives? Are we continually working on us? Sanctification means to be separated from the, separated from the world. It means to be holy. Is that the desire of our hearts? Are we seeking Holiness. It's an ongoing process. It will go on until you leave this earth. You're never going to reach it. You're never going to become perfectly holy. But the, the righteousness that you and I have and possess is only through Christ. God sees us as righteous. But listen, in our flesh, we still have to deal with these issues of the, of the world. We have to deal with these issues of the flesh. Paul, who's an amazing example, I mean an amazing example, said this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Notice that first part. I press towards the mark. I didn't arrive. This is at the end of his life. He says, listen, I've been giving it my all since I got saved. Man, I've, I've gone through the ringer and I'm doing my best. But guess what? I'm pressing toward the mark. I'm trying to be as sanctified as I can be. And if we're conscious of this principle for us, and we realize that that's what God's calling us to every day. Yeah. Just a little step in the right direction. A little step in the right direction. A little step in the right direction. 
there's still work yet to be done in our lives, for sure. But we also see with the Israelites here in chapter 11, them becoming stewards of God. You guys okay? Yeah. All right, here we go. We're almost done. Not really, but we're getting there. Here we go. <laughs> Verse 23. Um, so it says, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said unto Moses, and Joshua gave for, it for an inheritance unto Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. And so now, after a long season of, of warfare, continually being in warfare, the Israelites are shifting again out of that um, aspect of battle. Now they're changing over to possession. All this thing that they've been working towards all this time is now starting to become a reality. And so what happens is God talks about the inheritance. God's going to divide this land up into the 12 tribes, and they're going to take on the responsibility of, of possessing it. And what we see is this would have been a dream for their family, for their parents, right? That previous generation, this is what they were looking for. This is what they were hoping for because their fears overwhelmed them. They didn't experience it. But what we have here is now. Most of Canaan has been defeated. They're in an opportunity now where literally they can see the very thing they've been working towards actually coming to fruition. God is entrusting them with this land. Now I want you to consider that these people for generations and generations and generations have never had any land. They were all slaves. Then they went from being slaves to being nomads. They've never had possession of anything. They have nothing. And now God's going, guess what? I'm getting ready to give you land. And not only am I giving you land, but I've given you the promised land. My land. This is to be consecrated unto me. Their job will be to care for it, to protect it, and guess what? To make it holy and keep it holy. Do you hear that? Think about us. What's God calling us to do? We're supposed to care for it, protect it, and keep it holy. Stewards. Stewards of what's been entrusted. Remember what we saw in 1 Corinthians 6? What did Paul say? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? This is where God lives, which is in you, and you, and you have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify, therefore. Listen, because that's true, glorify God in your body. In your body, the life that I've given you to live on this earth, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You are not your own. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we literally, are we stewarding what God's given us? We've been entrusted with life. There are people, man, that don't get that chance. There are people that die young, who had no chance. There's people that die in the womb, no chance. Yet we were given life. God entrusted us with a life, and He says, look, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with this body? How many of us are good stewards of our body? Depends on the day and the hour, right? <laughs> Some days we're pounding a cheeseburger, and we're just like, ha, 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 and we're like, oh, that's probably not best stewarding, right? <laughs> but there's, there's, a, there's an element of that, right? The Bible tells us that, that, there's, that there's little gain from physical exercise, but there is some gain. We're supposed to take care of what we're given. What about our financial resources, what God's entrusted us with? Do we use them for God's glory? Are we good stewards of them? Are we good stewards of our families? Are we investing in our kids? Are we investing in our families that they would grow in the Lord? That they would become a, a positive impact, have a positive impact on the world around us? Are we actively ministering and, and stewarding our ministry that God's entrusted us with? Gosh, guess we're all given a ministry of reconciliation. We're all supposed to be a, a, a witness to the world around us through the testimony that we live, but also the words of our mouth. Are we good stewards of that ministry? Are we good stewards of our careers? Do we do all that we do heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men? We should. 
God's given us this life and he says, listen, I'm entrusting you to steward all that I'll bless you with. Will you use what I give you for my glory? Are we caring for these things as if they are owned by God? Or are we caring for them as if they are ours? You see, God owns everything. It's all His. Psalm 24 one says this, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. Everything. Everything is God's. And listen, though there is an inheritance to come, when we leave this life, yes, there's an inheritance to come. Praise God. But can I tell you this? God expects us to steward what He's given us while we're here. We lose sight of that. We're so focused on that. And we go, listen, hey, listen, there's a purpose for you being here. If it was just salvation, God would save you and kill you. But He saved you and left you here so that your life will make a difference. Your life's supposed to impact this, this, this dark world. He says you shine as lights in the world because guess what? People need hope. People are broken. People are lost. People are fumbling through the darkness. The Bible says that the devil blinds the minds of those who might believe the glorious gospel. People don't have the ability to even see God. And so what happens? We're supposed to live a life that's different. The Bible says we're supposed to be a peculiar person. Meaning you don't look like everybody else. And we look at people that go through adversities and we go, why, 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 why? That's our favorite question, why? But is it possible that someone who's watching this person go through adversity, I think about, I think about Liz's friend, a godly woman who loved the Lord, who suffered for years, for two years with cancer. I mean, suffered. Suffered. And from a human perspective, we'd go, why? God, she was, she was good. She was godly. She did all the right things. Why would she suffer if anybody? God says, you don't understand. I knew I could trust her to go through an adversity that would, would, would put a spotlight on my goodness. And the people that were standing around watching her going, how in the world does she do what she's doing? How in the world does she have a smile? How in the world is she encouraging people while she's dying in misery? How? Only one way. The presence of God. And someone who does not have the Lord says, what does she have that I don't have? Because I might go through something like that, and I don't want to go through it the way I know I would. I want to do it like that. It speaks volumes. God works through adversities. But sadly, what we'll find is that these Israelites, they didn't do the right thing. The first generation, man, they failed. But this generation did the right thing. See, God wants to bless us when we're on earth. He wants to use our lives for His glory. The sad truth is that, you know what? Many people don't think about this, but there's coming a day when He says, Right, he talked about our bodies. And then it talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It talks about giving an account for those things done in the body. The life he entrusted us with. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to the hath done whether it be good or bad. There is an accountability with God. This is a judgment of how well we stewarded what God entrusted us with. Man, we are to be good stewards. That's what God's called us to be. And we see here that these Israelites have become stewards of God's promised land. We've seen the Israelites experience God's conquered, uh, fears conquered, work yet to be done. 
becoming stewards of God, and now we'll see them experience God's peace prevailing. Last point. And the land rested from war. The land rested from war. And so this war-torn land of Canaan falls silent. After these 12 tribes transitioned from being this unified army that stood against evil, now as individuals, though the war is over, there are still battles to be fought. There is still wickedness hiding in different places. Each tribe will take on the responsibility of chasing out those issues and cleansing their individual territories from this wickedness. The giants, there are still giants yet to be addressed. If we relate this to ourselves, and if we consider collectively, right, as a, as a worldwide Christianity, a body of believers, we're given a responsibility. We're given an opportunity as a body that we're supposed to minister to the world around us, right? We're supposed to share the gospel in love. We're supposed to stand in defense of the word of God and reach those that are, those that are in the darkness. But then if we take it from a large scale to a smaller scale, as a local church, guess what? We have a responsibility, not just to the world, but also then to our local community, where we've got to be willing to say, you know what? I want to bring rest to my local community. There are people right now outside of the doors of this room or maybe in this room that are in the midst of a struggle. They're in the midst of a battle that's raging in their hearts. They are overwhelmed. They are broken. They are fearful. They are hopeless. And God's saying, hey, I want to reach them with hope. Right? On the sign, it says a place of restoration. And many people that are members in this church, many times we've done this, we've asked, and we said, how many of you guys came because you need to be restored? And the whole room says, that's why I'm here. That's why my wife's here. God restored us at hope. God uses his word to build his people, a foundation. And then once he restores us and he strengthens us and he helps us to go forward, then we take our brokenness and we start to reach out in the world around us and we use our story to be a bridge to someone else. And if you're going, you know what, I'm just I'm, I'm, on, the, I'm on the precipice of that. I'm just right on the edge of that. I'm just now being restored. Listen, don't lose sight of the fact that God wants to use your brokenness. God doesn't waste pain. He never does. And your story is your story for a reason. Your brokenness, your, your issues, your background, your whatever you've struggled through, it's there for a reason. There's someone coming that needs to hear your story and have hope through what you experienced. And if we lose sight of that, which is what the world does, the world makes it all about us. We've got to realize that we're not here because of us. We're here because God has a purpose for us to reach someone else. If it was just about salvation, He would kill us and take us home just like that. But He leaves us here so that our life can make a difference. And then if we go to an even smaller scale, and we think about our own hearts, we go from the world, we go to our community, and then we go to, to us individually. And we think about this, considering our own, our own walk. When we peer across the landscape of our life, and we look across, what do we, do we see? As stewards of what God's given us, do we walk in peace? Are we experiencing peace right now? Or do when people look into our lives, do they see someone in the midst of spiritual warfare? Struggles in our own hearts. See, it's, it's not God's will for us. But what happens is most of us, we fight, 
with all of our might, all of our strength to gain ground. And that's not how we do it. You see, victory in the Christian life is through surrender. It's contrary to what the world says. But it's the truth. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You're being oppressed right now. You're broken right now. You're hurting right now. Submit. Just say, Lord, I I can't do this. You don't need to. You can battle it from here to eternity, and it's not going to make a bit of difference. You're just going to be frustrated and hurt and scared. But boy, if you'll realize, God, I can't do this, and I'm going to put my full faith in you, man, he can do a restorative work in New York. You would not believe. What did Jesus say in Matthew 11, 28? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Listen, if you are today burdened, you're battling you're broken. Come unto Jesus. If we can give you rest. I'm a living testament of someone for 34 years of my life. I live with no God. Never went to church, never looked at a Bible, knew nothing about him. And I lived a life of debauchery and sin because it's all I knew. And I had hopelessness in my heart. But God, but God sent someone who cared enough about me to tell me the truth. And though it was hard to hear and I didn't want to receive it, I knew the Word of God. It resonated in my heart. And I said, you know what? It's true. I'd never heard the Bible before, but I knew it was true. And if you're here today and you say, look, I don't know what I believe about all this. Can I just tell you this? This is the truth you've been searching all your life. This truth can set you free. This truth can give you an opportunity to have a relationship with God that you've never dreamed possible. To bring a peace in your heart. And not only that, but hope for the future. There are so many people today that are existing in this earth instead of experiencing what God created us for. A land flowing with milk and honey. And most people are caught in the wilderness chomping on manna and complaining about it. God said He would give them what they needed to sustain them in the wilderness, not to satisfy, because He wanted them to be dissatisfied with the wilderness and set their hearts on the promised land. And if you're in the world today and you're trying to survive on man, guess what? It's going to suck. It's going to suck. You're never going to like it. It's never going to taste good. You're going to make it. They reshaped it into pizzas and tacos and bananas and all every shape they could make it. And guess what? It always tastes like manna. Because it wasn't designed to satisfy them. It was designed to sustain them. And God said, look, I brought you in this life so that you would seek something more. Seek something more. Me. Seek me. Seek me. This Exodus generation of Israelites ran from what they feared and their life echoed throughout history as a story of defeat. While this generation replaced their fear with faith in God and saw giants falling. Amen. Amen. Whether we conquer our fears or are conquered by them will be determined by who we put our faith in. Will it be us? Or will it be God? If we put our faith in ourselves, we're heading down a dark, dark 
lonely, broken road. But if we'll put our faith in God, He can bring hope. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for the truth of your word, for what you've shown us, uh, God, and how you've spoken, if no one else but to me. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the rest you can bring. Thank you for the, for the faith that you can build in a person and the way you can use their life. I do pray for my brothers and sisters today. If there's someone here today and they say, I'm struggling. Pastor, I'm in the middle of the darkness. I just need hope. Oh, you're in the right place. You are exactly where you need to be. Because I can promise you hope is here. It's not this place. It's not these people. It's a Savior that loves you. So their heads bowed and their eyes closed. Listen, if you're here today, there's no magic prayer in regards to becoming a Christian. It's not about that. It's not a ceremony. It's not a church membership. It has nothing to do with those things that are all created by man. It is nothing more than a broken heart willing to receive the gift that Jesus Christ offers from the cross. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. That's everybody's sins, all of us. And with loving arms, he reaches out. He said from that cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And can I tell you, many of us have lived in sin all of our lives and we've not known what we were doing. We were blind. But you know what? God's opened our eyes today. And he's offering you salvation from the cross. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around. If you want to receive that gift, there is, like I said, no magic prayer. There's no ceremony involved. It's just a broken heart receiving a gift that's being offered from love. So if you want to receive that gift, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do so. I'm going to give you an opportunity just to pray. Like I said, there's no magic in the prayer. God's listening to your heart. And if you want to receive him, he's offering you the gift right now from the cross. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ in your heart, in your mind, repeat this prayer talk to the Lord. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I am a sinner and I am so sorry for the mess that I've made in my life. I believe that you love me. I don't understand how, but I believe that you do and that you died on the cross for my sins and that you're offering me salvation as I sit in the seat. Lord, with my whole heart, I choose you. With my whole heart, I trust in you. With my whole heart, I ask you to come into my life and to save my soul. Lord, would you walk with me? Help me, Father, to live for you. Thank you for saving my soul. I look forward to seeing you one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.